0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. So today's kind of an emotional day for me. I mean, obviously there there was this part of the emotional day, but it's also Father's Day, and I've never preached on Father's Day. And one of the main reasons I've never preached on it is I never feel like I can. I always feel like... Um, like, I'm not actually good enough to be able to preach on Father's Day. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not at the place now where I do feel good enough, but I am at the place where I'm like, no, that is not fair. Um, and if that were the case, we wouldn't be able to teach or preach on anything because we haven't reached perfection. Um, but, um, but as many of you will know, I'm not necessarily given to give emotions um, my girls and I were talking about the fact that, why, why don't you like movies, Dad, like the Lifetime movies? Like, sometimes someone will say, I feel like a good cry, I want to watch a Lifetime movie, you know? Um, and I like documentaries. And, um, and so one day, I was uh, sitting down and I was watching this documentary, and I'm going to tell you about it, okay? Um, it's about football, so, so strap in, ladies, don't, don't check out, okay? It's, it's some, yeah, a Genie. I know, you, you know a lot about football. Sixteen-year-old girl, she falls pregnant, and um, her mother and her aunt take her away. Um, And that's what you used to do in the 70s, take her away to another city, and then she had the baby, she gave the baby up for adoption, she came back. Only three people knew that she was ever pregnant and ever had a child. Um, The bio dad had no idea. Uh, She comes back, she continues with her life, uh, this little baby is adopted in about uh, two weeks, and he uh, he moves into a family. They told his mom uh, that a doctor and a lawyer adopted him, but little did she know that a family that lived two miles away uh, from where she lived actually adopted him. And uh, so, uh, two years after this baby comes into the family, the bio dad, i mean the adopted dad—leaves and a series of abusive men come into this relationship with this little boy. This little boy's name is Deland McCullough, and that was his given name when he was adopted, and he becomes a great high school football player. Uh, He becomes so great that actually they begin sending recruiting officers to his school, and one day he's sitting in English class, and he's looking outside of the window, and he sees this man get out of this car. And what's caught his attention is the fact that it is a Mercedes SLK, cherry red with gold rims. So he has his attention now. But he, he, he watches this man, and he looks at this man, and there's something about this man that has captured his attention. He's not new to all these pictures that the colleges make for him to go to uh, play football there. Um, But he decides, man, there's something about that guy. I'm going to go play college at the University of Miami in Ohio. Don't even get me started why there's the University of Miami in Ohio, but there is. And that's where he went to play. And he was a star, and he broke a lot of records there and um, was expecting to be drafted. Uh, He wasn't drafted. He was picked up by the Cincinnati Bengals. And in his third preseason game, he blows out his knee. Never takes a snap in an NFL football game. He's now 25, he doesn't know what to do, he gets a call from the guy that recruited him for college and said, hey man, I have an internship here at the Seahawks, James, and he becomes a running back intern at the Seahawks. Well, we fast forward to 2017, he's now the running back's coach at USC, and he has four kids of his own, he's now in his 40s, but something dramatic has happened in 2017, and in Pennsylvania, they have just... Um, broken a legal barrier, which meant that in 20, up until 2017, if you were adopted, you had no right to find out who your biological parents were. Those records were sealed. But in 2017, in Pennsylvania, they decided that they were going to unseal those records. And so he is now in his 40s. He's the dad of four children himself. Um, one of his children gets sick, and so they go to the doctor and they say, you know, give us your family history for the wife. And he's like, I, I have no idea what my family history is. So his wife says, maybe you should find out who your biological family is. So he gets on Facebook, of course, and, um, and finds his bio mom. And uh, he sends her a little Facebook message and says, did you have a son? Um, at such and such a time, and uh, she says, yes, I did, and said, what was his name? His name was John. That was his given name that his mom gave him on the birth certificate. He said, "I I think I'm your son. He goes to visit her, and they have this emotional kind of reconnection, realizes that he lived, like I said, a mile and a half away from them for 10 years of his life, and then he says, who's my dad? And she says, well, your dad doesn't even know that you exist. Your biological father doesn't even know that you exist. And he says, well, who is he? She says, your dad is Sherman Smith. And he about falls down because he realizes that his dad is the guy that recruited him to go to college and play for him. His dad, he's known his dad for 28 years. His dad has been his advocate his dad has been his coach. In fact, one of the things that he said to him was that you may not be looking for a father, but I'm going to treat you like my son. And so, I know, right? This is worse than a Lifetime movie, right? I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm like, just on the edge. Like, just, just on the edge. Um, and so, and so he, he's like, well, what am I going to do? So, he texts his what we know now is his dad, but he texts him and he says, Hi, coach. I have a question for you. Um, can I talk to you? He says, Yeah, I'm busy with practice. Call me afterwards. He calls him and he says, You know, did you know a woman called this uh, down in Youngstown, Ohio? He says, Man, I haven't, heard that, I haven't heard that name in 40 years. And he says, Well, you know, I've been looking for my adoptive parents. And he says, Yeah, did you find them? And he says, Yeah, well, I found my mom, and my dad doesn't know that, that I'm around. He says, Man, that's got to be crazy. I wonder what that's like. <laughs> He's 63 years old. He has his own wife. He has children that are Dylan's age, he has grandchildren. He knows nothing about this. Dylan says to him, You're my dad. Well, he doesn't know what to say. And so he, um, he says to Dylan, This is a lot to take in. Um, so can I call you back? <laughs> he calls him back, and he says, I don't want you to be offended by this, but um, can we take a paternity test? And they take a paternity test, and I mean, when you see the photo of these two guys, you'd be like, I don't know why the paternity test is necessary, you know? <laughs> they take a paternity test. It turns out that, that um, Sherman Smith is, in fact, Dylan's dad, so now you know they're in um, they're in Southern California's USC coach. He's still coaching up in Seattle, and they decide to meet uh, for the first time as father son. Of course, you know he's known him all his life, and so he parks his car outside the house, and Sherman Smith is looking outside and can see him sitting in the car. It's like why is he not coming? What is happening? And he's sitting in the car thinking, I wonder how I'm going to be received. Like this is so weird this, that this is happening. He finally gets out of the car. And he walks up, the, he walks up the, uh, the sidewalk, the path to the house. And Sherman opens the door and he looks at him and he says, My son. And that was it, guys. That was it. In that moment, I just lost it. I didn't start crying like this nice, gentle stream of tears. I was a blubbering mess. My wife comes in. Knowing that I'm watching an ESPN documentary, <laughs> thinking, I think you might be taking this too seriously. You know what I mean? It is sport after all. But what got me about that guys was was as I mean, as emotionally stirring as that story is, what got me was the good news of Jesus Christ. Because I suddenly realized that God was not clueless about me. He knew I was his son. God didn't wait for me. To find him. He came in the person of Jesus, and he sought me out. God didn't um, have this legal barrier just somehow disappear. He knew there was a legal barrier that needed to be dealt with, which was my sin and my separation from him, and he dealt with that barrier. And unlike Sherman, who had no cost um, to, to bear in terms of that legal barrier coming down, Jesus paid a cost with his blood, the fact that I'm sought after, the fact that I am known, and the fact that he took care of that legal requirement. And the fact is, when I walk towards his door, I know the door is going to open and he's going to say, my son, that's why I was a blubbering mess. And that's why um, preaching on Father's Day is always such a weird and complicated thing. Uh, Because we've all had difficult experiences. Some of us have had amazing dads. Some of us have had abusive fathers. Some of us have had dads that are distant. Some of us have had dads that are imperfect. And for a lot of us, we compare our earthly fathers with our heavenly father, or vice versa. We compare our heavenly father with our earthly father. We also have the problem of good dads that, as we get older, realize they weren't actually good enough because none of us can be perfect. I've been um, having conversations with people that are in their 30s and 40s realizing, man, as, as much as they did to the best of their ability, there are some things that dads were just simply unable to do completely. Now, my struggle is not with my past as a son. When I talk about the uh, the, the kind of emotional response that I have to Father's Day, it isn't about the fact that I was badly fathered. It isn't isn't about that. It's about my current failures that scream at me. And those of you that are dads maybe can understand a little what what I'm talking about. Because I know that my dad didn't necessarily know any better. But I know that I know better. And yet there are mistakes that I make that scream at me. And so that's why Father's Day is quite a complicated day. It's never too late, though. It's never too late to ask the perfect father to give you the security of a deeply loved child. It's also never too late to ask the perfect father to help you to be a better father. Saxon this morning was talking about, as he led pre-service prayer, he was talking about the fact that he he did not have father figures in his life. And yet what he did was he postured himself as a son uh, with many men within the context of a church community and there is very little lack in his ability to father now. I was talking to Steph and I said, Saxon is a good dad when I think of where he came from in terms of his own fatherhood. And so there isn't this sense of fatalism in terms of our history. Where regardless, because of, we, because of the fact that we grew up in a certain way, because of the fact that things happened to us or did not happen to us, that will consistently lead to a life of disconnection or emotional distance. That is not true. That's not true of Saxon. That's not true of many of you in this room that have been fathered by different people throughout your lives. Many of you have even played the role of fathering, and it's such a gift. And Before I get into scripture, I want to say a couple of things about the father and son image. It's a gender-neutral image. Scripture talks about father and son. Now, father itself is not gender-neutral, but when it talks about sons, it means from the loins of. It means birthed from the father. And so when you hear sons, as I'm, as I'm preaching the Scripture, hear child of God. Let's look at Scripture, Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 7. And I want you to prick your ears up to hear how often the term in Christ or through Christ is mentioned here. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be homely, holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be His adopted children through Jesus Christ because of His love. This was according to His good will and plan, and to honor His glorious grace that He has given to us freely through the Son whom He loves. We have been ransomed through His Son's blood, and we have forgiveness for our failures based on His overflowing grace. By introduction, and you guys are like, oh, shoot, by introduction. But by introduction, (laughs) what I want to say is this. It is the Son that sanctifies, it is the Father that adopts, and it is the Spirit that seals our adoption in terms of our heavenly Father. Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem or to justify or to absolve those who were under the law. Why? This is critical. This so that is critical. So that we might receive adoption as sons or children. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What I want to talk a little bit about is the idea of redemption and justification and absolution being these kind of legal terms that we talk about. And it's the idea of the fact that I have been absolved of my sin. The phenomenal gift that I received when I placed myself in uh, in Jesus Christ, in Christ, as Paul mentioned, that I don't deserve. The fact that the penalty of my sin has been paid for, and that path to the house of God has been opened through Jesus Christ. Now, the joy and necessity of justification is such an amazing gift. And it, it should not be minimized, and it should not be put up against the whole idea of adoption. Because I think for some of us, and particularly those of us that have been in the church for a while, there is this sense of seeing God as judge and seeing God as Father, and we're more comfortable with one than the other. But let me say this, the reason that God's justification is necessary is so that we could become children of God. Adoption is not just an ingredient of justification, as many theologians will tell you, but it is the reason for justification itself. What we desire more than anything and what God desires is a return to the garden where we walked with God in the cool of the day and He had relationship with us. God did not send Jesus Christ just to deal with that legal barrier. God sent Jesus Christ to die so that He could pay the penalty of our sin so that we could be brought into a love relationship with Him. Now, you might be saying, Nick, move on. We know this. We've been in church many years, and I'm starting to fall asleep. This is critical for us to understand. Because if we think about the idea of salvation as merely a legal kind of um, uh, transaction that has taken place, what we miss out is the appropriation of adoption as a child of God. And there's certain things that we miss out. And part of that missing out is this emotional, tangible connection that we can have to God the Father. Everything we do in the context of this community is to create a context for you to encounter Jesus. And that's what we're doing. And so that's what justification does. It breaks that barrier. Just like the legal barrier was broken in 2017, he can now find out who his dad is, but he doesn't even know whether he's going to have a relationship with his dad. The barrier is broken for us. Because that temple veil was torn and Jesus comes rushing out to us and says, you are my sons and daughters. I have come for you. Sometimes we think of our sin being pardoned and I'm sure you've seen these movies where, where someone is released from prison and they, they're, the gate closes behind them and they're sitting there. There's no one to collect them. They don't know what to do. They've got 20 bucks in their hand and they've got to make their their way. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is not, you are pardoned, and now, you know, go and live this life that has incredibly high standards to be able to bring glory to God or all on your own and in your own strength. That is not what happens. What happens is that we are pardoned. We're not found innocent. We are pardoned of our sin, and then we are invited into God's house to be part of the family of God. And I think for a lot of us, we are super grateful that we're out of that prison. And we should be. But we haven't really understood what it's like to be adopted into God's family. Why should I view God as a father? Why is the idea of adoption so important? Well, it's important because God defines himself as father. Jesus used That model, when he spoke to God and about God, you are our father, it infuriated the religious leaders that Jesus would talk about Yahweh this way. It was blasphemy. And in fact, even to use the term Abba, which is a term of intimacy, was way too familiar and disrespectful. But Jesus modeled that when he walked on this earth. My name is Nicholas. I go by Nick. Do not call me Nicky right now some people have tried that right neil yeah, exactly. with with what really bad results right i mean the way i deal with someone calling me nikki i don't respond at all you call me nikki i'll just walk away from you it's uh, it's too familiar it's not something that i like um and there's a man called tom tapping who consistently calls me nikki and i just ignore him and my wife is like but nick he, it's just like a term of endearment. It's like a term of intimacy. He, just, he, he likes you, and he, he's trying to connect with you. And I'm like, I know. I know all of that. I just don't like being called Nicky, you know. And I know for Tom, it's this, it's this desire to be kind of more connected. The fact that, that I care about you, I love you, it's, it's that kind of sense. When Jesus is saying, father, when he's saying Abba, it's, it's not disrespectful in the way that I feel it is if you call me Nikki. It's, it's not disrespectful. It's actually saying that there is a shift in this relationship of the God whose name you were not allowed to say to now being able to say, Dad, I, I want to come and be in your presence because I'm your child. What a shift. No wonder they were so angry. No wonder this message is so powerful to us. We have the same privileges and rights that Jesus does. Does this blow your mind? The same privileges and rights. Now, Augustine says to us that even though we have the same privileges and rights, we are different. Right. Well, I guess we know that, some of us that have been around. We are not like Jesus. St. Augustine says that the reason why Scripture uses adoption is this. Scripture uses adoption so that we may clearly understand that the Son of God is unique. For we are the sons of God through His generosity and the condescension of His mercy, whereas He, Jesus, is the Son of God by nature, sharing the same divinity with the Father. Man, the more you elevate Jesus and make much of Him, it doesn't actually push me down. It actually raises me up. Because why? I am united with Jesus. I have the same privileges and rights that Jesus does. And so instead of trying to bring Jesus down to our own level, let's rejoice that he is there, in a sense, completely different from me because he is the divine nature of God, but I have the same rights and privileges as the Son of God does. What a mind blow. This has to change the way in which we operate. And it changes the way in which we think because it gives us deep confidence. And that is the first real kind of solid idea of appropriating adoption. It gives us deep confidence. In Roman times, when Paul talks about adoption, you handpicked the person that you wanted adopted in your family because they were going to uh, give your family a better name. They were going to be useful. You picked someone that was handsome. You picked those kinds of people. You know what uh, Dylan McCullough said when he found out that Sherman was his dad? He said, if you had told me to pick who my father was, there's no way I would have picked him because I didn't think I was worthy for him to be my father. God comes to us and says, you are my child. We don't have to beg him we don't have to say, look what I can do. Can I come into your home? He's like, I know what you do. I'm serious, guys. He says, I know what you do, and I want you to come to my home. You know the little dog, kind of the dog pound analogy, where you go in and you see the dog that's like 20 years old, and he's about to die, and he's got no teeth, and, and, and he never gets picked, right? And, and the reality is every single one of us, because it does not depend on us, Every single one of us has been chosen by God because of Jesus to be adopted into his family. And because I could never do anything to be worthy of that choice, I can never do anything to be sent back. Never do anything to be sent back. Dylan McCullough was cut by the Bengals when he screwed up his knee. That's it. Discarded. He was no longer useful to us. He spent years trying to prove his value and worth to other people because he was no longer useful to that team. You will never be in that place in God's family. You may feel useless. You may feel like your knee's torn up. You may feel like, what do I have to offer? But you will never be discarded. Why? Because you were never chosen on the basis of anything you could do in the first place. So because you couldn't do anything to attain it, there's nothing you can do to sustain your position in God. What I love is that performance anxiety ceases. When God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, what we need to understand is that this is what he spoke over Jesus. But because we have the same rights and privileges, and because we are co-heirs with Christ, it is as if those words are being spoken to us. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. When that is the overarching, overriding sense that you wake up with in the morning, that it doesn't matter what I do, and it doesn't matter how I respond or don't respond, that ultimately I am God's child and he is pleased with me, it changes the way that you behave. But Nick, are you telling us to just go out and sin and it doesn't matter? No, I'm telling you that if you understand that you are God's child and He is well pleased in you, if you understand that in Christ your life is hidden with Him and the Spirit of God resides in you, you have the power to be able to resist the sin that comes for you. Because Titus tells us, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness. Sanctification is not a prerequisite for adoption. Sanctification is living a life that is in line with the practices and teachings of Jesus. It means that the things that Jesus taught us to, the way in which Jesus taught us to behave on the Sermon on the Mount, the things that he did, are things that he wants his brothers and sisters to do. Now, the, the, the way we operate in that, our sanctification does not mean that if we do those things, we are then accepted. Our sanctification works in the opposite, because we are accepted. We get to behave in the way in which Jesus behaves. Because we are accepted, the Spirit of God fills us with an ability to do those things and fills us with a sense of, I don't want to do those things. The grace of God teaches me to say no to ungodliness. We should never forget that the reason that we are fully and completely accepted as sons and daughters of the living God was because on that cross, The Son of God was forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our fear and all of our disadvantages and everything that we experience was placed on the Son, paid for by His blood, and now redeemed through the resurrection. That should give us a deep sense of confidence. That should enable us to reject performance anxiety. That should enable us to welcome discipline of the father. God is your father, not your grandfather. What does that mean? That God will discipline you. Why? For your own good. We left Kiona with Jim and Maggie when she was young, and we had a whole list of things as good parents. No sugar know this, she's got to be put down for this nap, she's going to be doing the other thing, and then, you know, if she misbehaves, then you need to discipline her, and Jim looked at me, and he said, I'm not going to do that, (laughs) and I said, what? He said, I'm a grandfather, not a father, I did that stuff, it's my turn now to say yes instead of no. And we had to manage that, okay? We, we had to manage the idea of, okay, there were some things we were okay to flex on, you know, like maybe the sugar thing, but there were some things where we spoke to Jim and Maggie and we said, look, these things are important. And they said, well, these things are important to us, so we will, we will help you with those things. But I'm a, I'm a grandpa. I'm not a dad. I went through that stuff. Now it's my time to enjoy my grandchild. What I want to say is that, God is not your grandfather. He's your father. And there will be a sense in which God is going to say to you, Nick, this is not good for you, man. This is going to hurt you. This is going to lead to cycles of addiction. This is going to lead to negative consequences. This is going to lead to things that are unhelpful for you. You know that saying when you discipline your children, this is going to hurt you, me? What's it? Because I never believed it in the first place. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Have you heard that, Hudson? You heard that before? No. Okay. (laughs) Good answer. He gets lunch, right? So this is this idea that that actually discipline hurts the father more than it hurts the child. I mean, in theory, that's good, right? In theory, we want to believe that. There's only one being that actually fulfilled that. Only God the Father was hurt more so that we could come into freedom. So when our father says, this is going to hurt me more than it hurt you, he lived that. He died for that statement. He literally said, your life is so valuable to me that I'm going to come in the form of a man, die on a cross and be resurrected so you could have that freedom. So that I could actually, by the Spirit, say to you, Nick, cut it out. This is going to damage you. This is going to damage your children. Don't walk in those ways. Because Hebrews tells us that a father disciplines a son that he loves. And so when, when we understand adoption, we have confidence. When we understand adoption, we don't need to perform in order to get anyone's approval. When we understand adoption, we understand that discipline is necessary and it is redemptive. When we understand adoption, we also begin to understand family. Because we aren't just adopted, just dad and me. We are adopted into a family. We now have brothers and sisters that we didn't choose. We didn't get there the next time God is going to choose an adopted child say, Hey, Sean, what do you think about Priscilla? I'm kind of on the fence. So maybe whatever you say is kind of going to go one way or another. He doesn't do that. I mean, even though Sean would say yes, you know. But we have been adopted into a purposeful family. Our interactions with each other should help people outside of the family see that we are not members of a club, but we are brothers and sisters in the family of God, that I have needs that are only designed to be met by the family of God, that I have weaknesses that can be shored up by the family of God, and that I have a necessary and valid role to play that others can benefit from by being in the family of God. And lastly, intimacy. Now, this is a big deal. Closeness, affection, and intimacy is not feminine. Closeness, affection, and intimacy is what God desires for all of His children to be in relationship with Him. Truly secure men are able to give and receive affection. And I know for a lot of us, that's difficult. How many of you have seen Downton Abbey? And remember the four o'clock tea? Remember what happens with the children Four o'clock tea. They have tea in the library, I guess. By the way, we, we went there to Highclere Castle when we were in England. That place is way smaller than it looks on TV, <laughs> seriously. Like, obviously, people weren't over six foot then because you've got to like bend to get through the doors. Anyway, the point. Um, there's a moment in the movies where it's like, um, Mary, could you bring the children down for tea? And so the mom and the dad are sitting down there while the maid brings the children so that the father can see them. I don't know why. He doesn't interact with them. He doesn't acknowledge them. But tea is the time where the maid brings the children down. And there is this kind of sense of family connection. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, man, so many of us live like that. So many of us live like that where where we feel like we're just sitting playing with our wooden blocks and, and, and the dad is there sipping his tea with the mother barely aware of our existence. That's not what adoption into the family of God is like. Adoption into the family of God is like what I mentioned before where we can come boldly into God's throne room of grace. Where the minute we step in all the attention in the room is focused on us. Where God says, my son, my daughter, I'm so glad you're here. And we constantly, and you guys maybe feel whipped by this idea of means of grace, in terms of prayer and meditation and being in life group and being in community. And, and, and those are the times where we are invited to come into God's throne of grace. Those are the times where we can experience the kind of intimacy that God wants to to pour out on us. Anytime I enter his throne room, I have his full attention. How is that possible? Because he's not human. I can't even give a person attention for three minutes. I literally am praying. I'm praying. Be focused. They're a child of God. Love them. Because... I'm thinking about the lawnmower, and I'm thinking about this, and my ADHD is going focused. And and over years, God has been kind to me. But the reality is, is God doesn't think like that. He doesn't have ADHD. There's the sense in which Sean has God's total and complete focus. Val has God's total and complete focus. Why? Because he's not a man. Because he can do that. And every person sitting in this room, believe it or not, has God's full attention and focus. Because he's not a man. We experience the Father's love through the Holy Spirit. Our experience of adoption is a result of the initiative and action of the Father accomplished by the Son, sealed by the indwelling Spirit of God. God's specific, passionate, extravagant love for you is not this general intellectual understanding. And trust me, when I tell you that's where I live, and most of my life I've tried to take that down from here to here. And both as a man and as someone that is more stoic, it takes practice to do that. But hopefully, there's a sense in which just, just this message has stirred something in you to actually be able to say, oh, I've got to try harder. Wrong response. The only thing you've got to do is start walking up that road. That, there is a response, guys. There is. But it's not like you have to fix everything. It's not like, You just have to start walking towards the throne of grace. Because that door will open and you'll say, my son, my daughter. And he's not going to say it out of surprise or shock. He's not going to say it because somehow you figured out through Facebook. He's going to say it because he has been pursuing you. And that's what he wants. Packer says this. The healthy Christian is not necessarily the extrovert, the ebullient, which means exuberant. He could have just used that, I guess. (laughs) But the Christian who has a sense of God's presence stamped deep on his soul who trembles at God's word, who lets it dwell in him richly by constant meditation upon it, and who tests and reforms his life's daily response to it. Human beings may have the desire to love you. Just because they say they do doesn't mean that they do. But let's say human beings have the desire to love you. What I can tell you is that they do not have the ability and they do not have the capacity to love you the way that God is able to and desires to. I, you may have been deeply loved by your dad. You may be sitting here thinking, wow, I, I really had a, a good experience. That is amazing, but not as amazing as what you can experience from your eternal father. you can come up. Part of the challenge is how, how do we respond to this? Because all of this requires the, Spirit help, the Spirit's help. Remember, we are adopted by the Father because of what the Son's done. And it is the Spirit inside us that enables to cry out, Abba, Father. None of this we can do on our own. But there are some things that we can do that will kind of activate that deposit. I think one of the first things that we can do and one of the ways that we can respond... This morning is to forgive. Maybe we need to forgive our earthly fathers. Maybe we need to forgive our fathers that hurt or ignored us actively or passively. And when I say that, guys, I'm not talking about saying that what happened didn't hurt, or it wasn't bad, or it's not a big deal. It can be all of those things. But one of the gifts that God has given you as someone that is walking with Jesus is the ability to offer forgiveness to someone else that you cannot do alone, that the Father is enabling you to do through the Spirit because of the sacrifice of the Son. Maybe we need to ask our Heavenly Father for help to forgive our earthly father. Maybe we even feel led down by our Heavenly Father. Maybe we feel let down and rejected. And that makes us become slaves or survivors. And a slave will just look for someone else to attach to. It doesn't matter how negative that relationship is, as long as I'm attached to that person, bonded, enslaved to that relationship. Because I want to feel some sense of connection. That's how we can respond as slaves. Or we can respond as survivors. I don't need you, I don't need anything, I've got this. That's not how a son or a daughter responds to God. Maybe on the surface we feel fine, but deep down we feel abandoned or resentful, like we have to take care of ourselves. God can come and heal that. Maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to repent of seeing God as someone that's not fair and someone that's not fun. Maybe in the way in which God has tried to bring the boundaries for our own flourishing, just like Adam and Eve. We're saying, God, you, you are just capricious. You don't know what you're doing. You just, you don't know what I need to flourish. And God the Father says, I know what you need to flourish, and it's not this. And we look at the boundaries that God has set. And maybe this morning we just, when you repent, we say, God, I, I want to I stay in those boundaries because my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places because you are my God. You are my Father. So I just want us to ask. The band's going to play a song. And I want us to ask not for an intellectual understanding, not, not for a sense in which, okay, this makes perfect sense to me. I want to ask the Spirit of God to give you a sense of the Spirit dwelling in you, crying out, Abba, Father. Jesus says, What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your sons, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to you who ask Him? Jesus, I want to thank you that we are united with Christ. We are hidden in Christ. I want to thank you that that does not mean that that our unique nature and character is something you don't see. It doesn't mean that our uniqueness is lost. When, When we say that you look at us through Jesus, you look at us with affection and with joy not interpersonally not, 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 not impersonally not as a shameful thing but I want to thank you that we are united with Christ we are hidden with Christ I want to pray my God right now that we would sense a father that sees us as who we uniquely are rejoices in us because of what this Son has done, and because of what the Spirit is shaping in us. Minister to us now, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks, I'm I'm
1: Ryan, I'm a member here. Uh, Past few years, I've had the privilege of uh, being in foster care and fostering children, and um, so we recently adopted my son And uh, from the moment he was placed in our family, uh, I fostered him as my son. And I felt like that was so impactful because uh, even if you haven't accepted uh, Jesus, even if you haven't been adopted into his family, he's fostering you and that he loves you and he's treating you as a son. And while he was in foster care still, um, there was always that tension that something might happen where I would lose him. And then when finally he was adopted, you know, that tension was gone. And we just have that security of him being ours, no matter what. And furthermore, um, you know, I don't, I don't call him my adopted son. I just call him my son.
0: Uh, Why don't you stand with me? One of the reasons that we get to call our God Father is because of what the Son did. Um, And so we're going to go to the table, and uh, we're going to take the elements. And um, I'm going to pray now, but what I'd like you to do is to take it as a child with His Father. Communion meal is something that is to be shared. That's why we do it every week. I just feel this morning to actually come to the Father in a new sense. And there may be some of you here that, that have felt held by God, maybe even fostered by God, but have never said, God, I want you to be my Father through Jesus Christ the Son. This could be your opportunity to do that. So I want to release you to take that communion after I've prayed, come back to your seat. The band is going to continue to play. We're going to have people to my left uh, that are wanting to pray for you. Ryan's going to be there. Michaela brought a word um, this morning in prayer. And she wants to pray for people who are... Um,
1: Yeah, if you're fearful or coming to God afraid that he's going to deal harshly with you... I um, want to encourage you that he's, he does not want to deal harshly with you. He wants to deal tenderly with you, specifically around sin. Um, if you feel convicted uh, of sin, that in itself is God's mercy and God's kindness. And I'd love to pray with you.
0: David also said to me, uh, if you're a dad that needs God's help, And you feel a sense of condemnation this morning. That's not from God. So David would like to pray with you. Father, I want to thank you for the precious blood of your son. It is because that blood was shed and that body was broken. That we could be called children of the living God. Because that is what we are. I want to pray that as we take this meal with you. That you would remind us that we are yours. That you would remind us that there's nothing we can do. They will ever change that fact. That you'd remind us that you are our good, good Father. We bless you, my God. We thank you. In the name of Jesus and for His glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.